While Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. I'm still just feeling that party energy from the song. That's like, I don't know why I associate that with almost bar clothes. <laughs> it's like you got to get one last dance in. Um, but yeah, I just want to welcome you guys to, uh, to Zao again. Thank you for being with us this morning, my party people. For those of you who have been here a minute, I'd like to practice something we've been doing a little bit this season. Are you ready? Christ is risen. He is risen All right, hallelujah. This is still Easter season. It may seem strange that we're still shouting about the resurrection and Easter weeks after we celebrated, but actually Easter is a full-on season where we think about resurrection and liberation and what it means to defeat sin and death. And that is why we are in a series called Party People, where uh, we are diving into some of the best celebrations, parties, feasts of Scripture, and trying to understand what it means for us to be Christians, to be followers of Jesus, to be radically spiritual community together in a, with a foundation of celebration, a foundation of parties, of feasts. And it can be so hard when we are people committed to justice, people committed to life um, and to flourishing, to, to keep all of those things in mind, right? Because we can be driven to work, to the streets, to the preoccupations and busyness that we're going to talk about a little bit with Martha here. The labor of building the kingdom can be so, so overwhelming sometimes that we don't have the time, the space carved out in our lives to be purely celebratory, to be fully alive to the resurrected Jesus. And as thou... We use the word zao, it's a Greek word from scripture, it means to be among the living, to be fully alive, not dead. And so it is our task, not only as followers of Jesus, but as community members at Zao, to seek after life in its fullness. To seek after life in its fullness for everyone, which is what drives us to the labor and to the streets and to the building. But also here and now, to seek life and joy and celebration whenever we can. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not a party planner. Like, I know that we've probably got a split in here, because I see some party planners in there. Who here is, like, super into being the host, the party planner? All right. Anybody like me? Anybody like, please, no, thank you. <laughs> I would like to show up fashionably late. <laughs> awesome. We've got a good split in here. You know, one of the privileges of my work in this community is, is working with couples who are preparing for marriage. And it's so interesting because though marriage and weddings are, are some of the most 
beautifully celebrated parties in my life, I see so much stress going into them, right? Anybody ever planned a wedding or known somebody planning a wedding that it's like, is this even worth it anymore? <laughs> it can be extraordinarily stressful. And, and I think that there is a lot of pressure on a lot of people in creating environments of celebration to make sure that everything is just so, is perfect. And it can be uh, a, a, lot of, a lot that takes us out of the moment, right? We can be so committed to the details and creating the space for everyone else that it's hard to, to put oneself into the party. Now, I want to shout out the people who are such party planners that the party planning actually gets them really excited <laughs> because that's another way to be present to what's going on. But I think in this story, we have an opportunity to engage what it is that holds us back from fe feeling fully present to the life, to the celebration of our community of faith. Now, how many folks in this room, and no pressure if you haven't, but how many folks in this room have heard this story before about Martha and Mary? All right, we've got a fair few. So this is a story that people really like to tell. Um, and, and depending on where you've heard it, you may have heard it a couple of different ways. There's either the like, you know, isn't it so great that Jesus says that a woman's place isn't only in the kitchen? <laughs> wow! Radical Jesus. And like, it's true, Jesus was breaking some enormous cultural and social norms by allowing Mary to sit at his feet. But this story that we have is often introduced, especially into more conservative, gender-politicked uh, church communities, as saying like, listen ladies, we know, we know you love to host, but you have to take time out for Jesus too. And it can feel like a reprimand, a scolding of Martha, Right? That feels like a real bummer to me, and I'm not about it. Then there's the, the understanding that, like, maybe the preparatory work isn't it at all, right? Maybe it's like, actually, Martha shouldn't have been doing that either, and we should all just be sitting at the feet of Jesus. But this can be really confusing when you look at the story in context, right? Because if the story is about saying, hey, Stop trying to be so busy and flurried and get all your things done because what you really need to do is just sit at the feet of Jesus and be present, right? If that's the message, it's a little confusing the placement in the scripture because the story right before Martha and Mary is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, the story of the Good Samaritan is about multiple pious religious leaders who pass over a bleeding man in the street so that they can remain ritually pure, while a Samaritan man, who would have been a lower, lower status, came in to help. And so a lot of people will interpret that story as, don't be so pious. Don't be so worried about ritual. Don't be so worried about being ritually clean. You have to help people. Is anybody else confused yet? Because, you know, we can hear these stories back to back. Don't be so pious. Be helpful. Don't be so helpful. Be pious. And get really confused. What do you want, Jesus? Do you want me to go out of my way to help people? Or do you want me to prioritize spending time with God? And the reason that those things are clashing 
is because I don't believe we're reading those stories correctly, either one. Because reading those stories to those interpretations lacks any meaningful power analysis. The Good Samaritan is not merely a story about helping people in need. Martha and Mary is not merely a story about laying down your busy helpfulness to be present at the feet of God. Justo Gonzalez, I often, bring, I often bring books here. I've got three today if folks want to check it out. But there's a great commentary on Luke by Justo Gonzalez. And he writes, The parable of the Good Samaritan calls for radical obedience that breaks cultural, ethnic, and theological barriers. The story of Mary and Martha is equally radical. You see, it's not just about helping in the Good Samaritan story. It's about breaking the rules to interact with someone in a loving and kind and generous way. Because the rules were not only about theology, religious piety, but they were also about ethnicity and social status. And so that story is a radical obedience to the kingdom, which says that humanity matters and that being present to one another matters, and that the rules and hierarchies and oppressions of this world need to be crushed, need to be disobeyed, need to be overthrown in order for the kingdom to be made manifest. And as I hope we will see together, so is the story about Mary and Martha. Now, what's going on with Martha? She's trying to be a good host, right? And a lot of us can, can relate to that pressure, right? We've got people coming to the house. We're going to do a little extra cleaning. We'll be a little stressed. But Mar Martha is also conforming to some pretty strong expectations of her role. Women literally would not have been allowed in the room where the men were teaching and being taught, where they were investing in their own spiritual development, where they were being human beings developed, spiritually present, in community with one another, growing in the love of God. Martha would not have been allowed in that room if she wasn't carrying some food or water. She is not allowed in that space as a human being. She is allowed in that space only if she is serving. She has to be tending to these men. Mary is supposed to be doing that too. And as I was sitting with this text and Justo Gonzalez's interpretation, I was trying to think about how this story is radical. What makes this story so radical? And my imagination kept drifting back to like a really good Facebook post that I read a year ago. Now this post was a status update from a local community leader here in Milwaukee, a powerful black woman who often speaks truth into my life and into the lives of many others here. Her name is Shavonda Sisson, and Shavonda wrote, at my son's tennis cookout, all the moms are running around setting up food and making things look nice. I got in line with the dads and made my plate. I appreciate y'all for freeing me from the spirit of feminine labor. Now, that little status update literally has stayed with me for a year because it was a radical act, a defiance of cultural, social, and at times theological norms to serve herself, to be present to the meal. How are we supposed to lay down our busyness and be present if we're not allowed in the room? How are we supposed to be present to God, to ourselves, to our body, to our community, if we are only here to give, to serve others? 
Shavana was pulling a Mary, and Jesus said, she chose the better way. That will not be taken away from her. Now, why is this such a radical act? In another book that I urge you all to check out, it's called Burnout. It's by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. Nagoski. They talk about human giver syndrome. Now, human giver syndrome was first described by a philosopher named Kate Mann in her book, Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny. But they describe it, this human giver syndrome. They describe human givers as a class of people expected to offer their time, their attention, affection, and bodies willingly, placidly, to the other class of people, the human beings. What they're describing is that some get to be, get to express their humanity. In particular, they're talking in this text about men. That typically speaking, men get to be human beings. But human givers, in this context women, must at all times be, here's what they write, pretty, happy, calm, generous, attentive to the needs of others, which means they must never be ugly, angry, upset, ambitious, or attentive to their own needs. In fact, givers are not supposed to need anything. I was speaking a while back to a white man in his late 60s about his difficulty filling out some paperwork online. He was really frustrated that he couldn't navigate it on his own, couldn't find a human being or maybe a human giver to help him or to do it for him. He lamented the lack of service in life and automation. As the conversation continued, he reflected on his work environment at the peak of his career. Now, he worked at an office full of powerful white men, and each of them had their own, presumably female, secretary. As he spoke, I couldn't help but imagine that these women ran the office, but they did so politely, attractively, and for very little pay. This man shook his head as he told us about how the company eventually fired all those secretaries, and he was expected to do the work they had been doing for him. I didn't even know where the extra pens were, he said. This burden of expectation, this designation of being a human giver, it's more deeply layered and rooted the more intersecting identities of oppression you hold. Because though this is a function of patriarchy, and it very clearly is, it is also a function of white supremacy, creating the expectation that people of color especially women of color, especially black women, are here to give of themselves to white people, especially white men, but also white women and non-binary people. This country was built on the stolen, forced, unpaid labor of people of color, and that's not even limiting it to the enslavement of black people. Ijeoma Aluo quips in her book Mediocre, also up here, Every white supremacist who claims that the United States is a white country knows that white settlers would have frozen to death faster than you can say Pocahontas if it weren't for native people. 
And you know what? We can talk about white supremacists all we want, but progressives and leftists and anti-racists aren't off the hook either because we all know that it is black women who run even our movements for liberation, often unrecognized and unacknowledged. One of the things that feels so pernicious about the Martha Mary story, about these dynamics of expectations of giving and giving and giving, the, the heart of patriarch, patriarchy and misogyny lives in the home. This is Martha's home. She's not allowed to be a human being sitting at the feet of her Lord, investing in herself, connecting with her God in her very own home. The most intimate relationships, the places we should be able to retreat, to be seen, loved, protected, honored, these are the grounds in which misogyny and patriarchy take their root. And it begins with how we come into this world. They don't call it going into labor for nothing. And when it starts, you don't come out of labor for a really long time. The unpaid, often unchosen labor of the women who run this country, it's called reproductive labor. The caregiving the creating, birthing, and or raising of babies and children, domestic labor like running a household, it's usually uncompensated and unrecognized. Study after study shows that in cishet households, women do the vast majority of this labor, even in countries where women are just as active in the wage labor market as men. This unpaid, unrecognized labor is essential to capitalism. It is essential to creating the environment for white men who want to not have to know where the pens are. It is essential to creating an environment where some people can invest in their humanity at the expense of all the others. This is essential to the lives of the men who depend on it, and it is unseen until it is missing because it is a quiet, persistent expectation of women. What would happen if tomorrow all women ceased to do any reproductive labor? They simply did their jobs that they were paid for and went home, expecting someone else to feed them, their children, their partners, expecting that someone else would run their household, expecting that someone else would remember the doctor's appointments and school schedules, expecting that someone else would continue to populate the planet, expecting that someone else would have to know where those damn extra pens are. Now, it might not happen overnight, but if that persisted, eventually the world would be in chaos. Industries would crumble. Economies would collapse. And I'm going to be real with you guys. This is what restricting access to abortion and contraception and reproductive choice is actually about. It's not about forcing women and AFABs into this. It, it is about, excuse me, it's about forcing women and AFABs into this role, whether they choose it or not. It's about controlling the bodies of women, especially women of color, especially black women. As a moral imperative, we are told, here's that theological expectation again, as a moral imperative, we are told that we need to make choices and we need to make abortion and contraception illegal and that the loss of choice and control of women over their own bodies is just treated as collateral damage 
It's a bummer, but it's not as important as those unborn babies. Never mind the fact that statistically, making abortion illegal is not even the best way to reduce abortions. Because, of course, if what you wanted was to reduce abortions, you would be doing everything in your power to reduce unintended pregnancies. You'd be creating access to reproductive choice, to health care. You'd be giving women and AFABs more control over their bodies, not less. And this should be the real tip-off, the real smoking gun. That if you really wanted to reduce abortion, you'd give women more choices and control, not less. So restricting choice and control, it's not an unfortunate side effect. It's the point. Now returning to Mary and Martha. <laughs> Martha may long to sit at the feet of Jesus. Martha may long to sit on her feet for no reason at all. Martha may long to stand outside in the sun. Martha may long to be and express her humanity. But the reason she doesn't is not because she's so, such a busybody. It's not because she's so preoccupied. It's because she's not allowed. She's not allowed to be a person. And so what Mary does is Mary throws off those expectations. Mary says, I want to learn at the feet of my Lord. I want to meet divinity and God. I want to be a teacher and a human and a person. And I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus and I am going to be. Now, not only does Jesus let her, but when Martha tries to snap her back in line, Jesus says, no. She gets to choose. That will not be taken away from her. But what about Martha? Why does she do this? Why does she try and bring Mary back into the kitchen? It's because those expectations on Martha are so strong that the only world that Martha can imagine where she's not running around like a chicken with her head cut off and still failing to provide, to give in the ways that are adequate is to wrangle Mary back into that captivity with her. How many of us have failed to take work breaks or sick days because we're afraid of what will happen to our coworkers or the children we teach or our patients if we're not there? How many of us don't allow ourselves to be because we know that Martha is spinning her wheels in the kitchen the minute that we step out to sit at the feet of the Lord? This is the insidious nature of patriarchy and the ways that women and AFABs continue to uphold it. What would happen if instead of yelling at Mary, yelling at Jesus to get Mary back in line, Martha started yelling at Jesus, period. Martha started yelling at the men in the room, get your own damn snacks, get your own damn pens. I want to learn too. I want to learn too. I want to be a person. Why are all these men sitting here allowing women to create this space that they contribute nothing to so that they can learn at their expense? Why is their personhood, their development coming at the expense of women? Now it's true that if women stopped doing this and men didn't step up to do it, things would collapse. And I'm actually not suggesting that. Because what we don't need is an entire work stoppage and for men to just become the new Marthas and Marys. What we need is the kingdom wherein a collective provides for one another. 
What we need is no rooms where some people are not allowed in if they're not serving. What we need is for Shavana to be able to eat a meal because everyone has poured in together. What we need is for everyone to be able to sit at the table and feet of the Lord after we have prepared a place for one another. Our labor should be collective and it should never be coerced. We need to create the conditions for one another's flourishing. And that brings me to our community at Zao. There are so many of us here who are women or female assigned, who are queer or trans, who are people of color, that most of us in this room have a right to think at some level, yeah, why am I doing all the labor? But I want you to know that in this community, in this community, I can count on one hand the number of people who reliably stick around to clean up after events. I can count on two hands the number who do the dirty work of washing dishes, preparing food, creating spreadsheets, all of that unseen labor of this community. We need to see our Marthas, and we need to offer liberation to one another by providing for one another. Not in a way that is coerced, not in a way that takes away from our ability to be present to one another, but that brings that labor into community so that it can be a labor of communal love, so that we are servant leaders. This is what Jesus is talking about when he takes the towel and gets on the ground and washes his disciples' feet. There should be no one who is the foot washer and the other who is the cared for. We all must care for one another. And in order to right those wrongs, some of us need to be a little bit more mindful about who has been in the Martha role for too long. We need to relieve our Marthas of their burden. We need to hold space for people to be full, loving, loved human beings. And we need to take collective responsibility for one another. The way of Mary is the better way. It is the way of being, and it is only possible when we care for one another. It is only possible when we cast off those expectations of cultural and ethnic and religious truth that we are expected to perform. When we cast off the expectations of capitalism, when we defy the logic of oppression and say, we actually all care for one another. There is no Martha here because Martha has been able to make a choice. And if she chooses to sit at the feet of the Lord, God bless her. And if she chooses to run wild through the streets, knowing that no one is expecting anything of her but to live and breathe and be, then she has found the Holy Spirit. We all deserve to be liberated, which means we all are required to liberate one another. Will you pray with me? God, you are a radical God. You are a God of liberation and power. God, you topple empires. Allow us to see the truth, the radical truth of your message, the radical truth of your scriptures. Allow us to care for one another in a kingdom way. Allow us to free the Marthas who have been trapped by the chains of oppression. Allow us to self-examine the ways that we keep telling Martha or Mary to get back in the kitchen. God, cleanse us of patriarchy, misogyny, and misogynoir. God, be with us because we will need your power. 
We will need your might. We will need your strength in this task every day. God, you are good. May your goodness, may your liberation, may your freedom come to all. Amen.